I'll tell you that uh, as I've been uh, sitting this morning, as I've been praying through this message, this is uh, back in March when we were anticipating coming back, we had a meeting, it was either March or, or, or April, and we were talking about when we would get together and meet and we were going to hope uh, to be back in the school early in the uh, summer, but then we saw that wasn't going to happen, we were going to miss June, and so we had this conversation of maybe we'll just wait until September because September will probably have more momentum and starting in July is probably not the best idea because everybody's out, it's the middle of the summer. And there's this, there was this kind of idea of maybe we you know, should time it right. But then as it, we got into the summer, we just decided as soon as they said, yes, we're gonna meet, we're gonna meet just because man, we are a family and the family's gotta get together. And so rather than deciding, hey, when can we launch this thing and, and you know, get the most momentum and try to just do this. We said, you know what, <laughs> we're not even worried about momentum. We're not worried about, we just want to be together as a family because that's who we are. And uh, I will be honest, I think back to when we started this church, out of curiosity, who was here on the first day of starting Connection Point Church? We got my wife, and we got a few people up front, and then we got uh, my brother back there, Joey, he was. Um, but I just want to kind of make a point that this feels to me, as, oh, Lynn was too, by the way. Uh, this feels to me about as close to uh, when we were starting the church. Even when we moved to, to, I mean, we've made several moves, but this season feels as close. And so if you're here during the season, it is a special season even though it's a hard season. I just want to make sure you know that. I mean, our band was decimated by, you know, uh, just today. Our child, every single week, we've had to call in subs and just scramble to get our children's ministry to make sure. It's a hard season right now. And one of the things that, as I've been thinking about just where we, at, where we are at, is that where we at, is that... Uh, it's not just the season around us that as I talk to each and every one of, of you, we're all going through hard things personally or we're just in seasons that even if we didn't have a pandemic, even if we weren't trying to do what we're doing, we're in hard seasons of our life. We're in seasons of transitions just naturally or seasons of, of uh, just change sometimes or just hard seasons where life has, has kind of hit us and we've got all that on, on top of it and there's almost just this fog and when we started this church, uh, Joey and I made a commitment that as long as he's got a guitar and I've got a Bible, we are always going to have a great worship service. So if you come here and there are three people here and we, we are going to have great music and we are going to have the word of God is going to be preached and you will walk away closer in your relationship with God. That was our commitment. And so as I saw him up here and, and Michaela just doing it acoustic, I was like, you know what? This is the commitment we made 20, I mean, 10 years ago. It'll be 20 years soon enough, 10, 10 years ago. And so, you know, one of the things that I would like as we kind of settle, uh, settle into this sermon is I want you to kind of think to a prayer or, or a time in your life, or maybe it's right now when something felt maybe a dream, maybe a prayer, or something just felt so far out of reach that you've just kind of gotten into a fog, or, or maybe you've just kind of let some of your dreams or ambitions or just prayers go. Maybe it's a prayer for healing, maybe it's a prayer to, of release from an addiction or something, and you've just kind of gotten to a place where you're like, you know what, I'll never be free of this. Maybe it's a, a season where you're like, this is so hard right now, it'll never leave. This is, this is always gonna be like this, because 
There was a time in this church when we were first starting that I thought to myself, you know what, we're always gonna only have 20 people. And at first, we didn't have a lot of people. We're always gonna be broke. And, and, and when we started this church, four weeks into the start of this church, I had to stand up and say, hey, we're officially out of money. If we wanna meet next week, y'all have to give today. That's what I said. And, and, and people gave. But we didn't have enough to pay the, the, the hotel bill for the next week. And, and I certainly wasn't gonna get paid. If it, and so it was one of those things where it was just, man, are we ever gonna just get there, arrive, get to where we are gonna be? I went and visited a, a friend of mine's church when we were starting this, and he started about a year or two earlier, and their church just exploded. And he said, why don't you come just, you know, come to one of our staff meetings. And they'd been going about a year, a year and a half, and they had like five or six people on full-time staff already. And I looked at their budget, it was on the wall uh, in their staff meeting, and they had $30,000 extra come in that month than what they were spending and what their budget allotted for. And uh, they were just kind of putting that money away and they said, maybe we'll spend it on a building someday or whatever. And I just remember at that time thinking, man, if you would give us one month of just your extra, it would fund us for half the year. Literally, our first year's budget, that would have been half of it at least. And I say that just because I remember starting this church, a season in which I just, I, I didn't know if anyone would ever show up. I didn't know if I would ever get paid. I didn't know if we would have enough money to, to ever exist the next day when it was always this uncertainty of, man, when, is, when are we going to arrive? When are we going to get to where I don't have to worry about if we're going to exist, where I can have peace, where I can know, okay, at least God's going to provide and provide. And it would just weigh on me. It would just weigh on me of, man, I just don't know if we're going to make it the next time. Do you know, as I, I, I got here today, I don't know, some of y'all um, cut the, uh, the start time here pretty close. I'm not sure if you're aware, because uh, at about two minutes, I look around and y'all weren't in here too. Y'all were probably out there getting your kids, doing what you need to do. But as I, I just had this, man, I'm thankful for today. And I had this faith, you know what? I knew y'all were gonna show up. I knew it. I knew people were gonna be here because I went through a season for so long where we didn't have anything and we didn't have uh, people, we didn't have people, we didn't have, we didn't have any resources. And you know what? In that time, God was faithful. God was faithful in that season in which I didn't know if I would even have enough money to pay my bills. I didn't know if the church would exist. I didn't know any of those things and God showed up. And so when we get to a season like this, it's just a strange season. I will tell you that one of the things that has equipped me, because in my life, now this church is not near the hardest thing going on you know, in my life. It's just, we're all in seasons right now. Take away the pandemic, take away all the struggles of, of launching a church again in the middle of, of the, the summer. One of the things that I'm just so glad about is the fact that if I wouldn't have gone through that first year of just wondering, is God gonna show up? Is God gonna, gonna bring any people? Is God gonna sustain us? I don't even worry now. I didn't get up thinking, man, I wonder if we're gonna be, be able to have church today. I wonder if, and you know what? It, it, it's, it strengthened my faith so much that if I wouldn't have gone through those first weeks, I wouldn't have been able, I would never be able to be excited and know, hey, God is gonna show up and God has got so many great things coming up for this church and I believe it. And it's because he took me through that hard season. I'd be 
lying if I didn't have doubts starting this church that this church was going to survive. In fact, if y'all know our story, we, this church was birthed out of a church that did not survive. And uh, the funny thing is, is the church that didn't survive was in the same city with the same people. And so there was really no reason to expect that the same people in the same city would actually be able to start a new church and, and God would bless that one and it would, would survive. But yet that's where I found, where we find ourselves. And so today what I want to talk to you about is I want to talk to you about seasons of your life where you have so much doubt that you're even going to get through the season. So much doubt that not that God exists, but is he going to show up the way you once prayed that he was going to show up? You once in faith thought this is how God's going to show up. You know, maybe it was a relationship of, you know what, someday I'm going to get married, I'm going to be there. And it didn't happen the way you thought. Now you're just like, I don't even know, you know. The, the number of times that, that I, I've talked with somebody who's just given up on a relationship. Maybe it's your family, and maybe it's your relationship with your parents, maybe it's your relationship with your kids, and you just think it's wayward. It'll never come back. And you give up. Maybe it's a struggle. Maybe it's something you're going through financially. Maybe it's your job, and I'll just never get through this season. I'm destined to stay here. And you used to pray for this, this grand vision of your life, and now you're just kind of, man, I'm never going to get there. I'll never be there. God will never show up the way I once wanted him to be. But really what I want to focus on is for those of us that maybe there was a time in your life where you had this passion for God. You had this passion. Maybe it's when you decided to follow Jesus and you just had this passion, but now you find yourself just, all right, I'll get to church today. You know what? I'll just kind of, kind of get there, but you don't have that desire that just my life has a purpose and a course that is set forward. And I can't wait to see what God does next. I want to pray and, and, and I want to bring you to a, a prayer of just passion that, and anticipation and expectation that God is going to move in your life. In a way, maybe resurrect a prayer that you quit praying because you, you thought that would never happen. In fact, I want you to think as we start this, I want you to think of one thing that maybe you once prayed about. But if I were to say to you, hey, this is going to happen next week. Next week, that thing you're praying about, that, that desire, that, that, that thing that you've been asking God to move in, it's going to happen next week or next year. By this time next year, it's going to come and you're going to be fully where it is. And I want you to think about the thing that if I were to say that, you would laugh out loud. You would say, Joel, you're rid ridiculous. Joel, that is, that is a, that's a church prayer. That's one of those things they say on the stage in church, but nobody actually prays it in a prayer circle because we would never do it. What would make you laugh right now if you were to pray a prayer of faith? Maybe it's a prayer of healing. Maybe it is a prayer of reconciliation. I don't know, but that's what I want to talk about. I want to talk today about those times of doubt, and I want to show you that doubt is a part of the process. When you become a, a mature believer in Christ, the reason that, that you get to a place where you are confident, when others say maybe you shouldn't be confident, or maybe you get to a place where you're so confident God's going to move and no one else sees it, it's because you've been through times of doubt. Doubt is a part of the process for a mature believer. And so I want to take you through where we've gone with this story of Abraham. It starts off with a man who is not even, he's not Jewish, he's not a, a Christian, he does not follow God, he doesn't even know who God is, and he gets a message from Yahweh, the Lord, and he says, I want you to leave your place, your pagan place, Ur of the Chaldeans, that's where he was, kind of near Babylon, and he says, I want you to go. I just want you to go to this promised land. And so what does he do? He goes halfway. He goes halfway, why? Because he had doubts. 
You know what, I'll go halfway, I'll go to the, the city closer to where you're calling me, but I'm gonna go to a, a city with people I know, it's got the temples that I know, and he still worshiped the moon god. He couldn't quite give it up, but he went a little bit. And you know what God does when, when he goes halfway, when he says, you know what, God, I'm, I'm all, uh, I'm halfway in. God gives him patience. God waits on him. God gives him grace and he, God doesn't slay him. He doesn't throw a lightning bolt at him. Instead, God waits. And eventually Abram moves on. His father dies and he moves on and he comes into the promised land. And when he gets there, he worships the Lord. And he had this one moment where he got stuck halfway in some doubts. And then all of a sudden he decided, I'm gonna go all the way. You know, I've lost, I've kind of run my course. And he, and he, and he takes a step of faith. He goes to a foreign land and he gets to this oak tree and he sets up an altar and he prays to the Lord and he worships God. His faith has grown. What happens next? All of a sudden he's looking for food and he can't find food. A famine comes. And instead of saying what you, know, you think the Bible you know, hero would say, we're just gonna trust the Lord. Instead he says, oh my gosh, I gotta figure this out. And he leaves the promised land and he goes to Egypt. And when he's in Egypt, he's like, oh my gosh, this is dangerous. They're going to try to kill me. Uh, and then he gives his wife away. He gives his wife away. That's, by the way, against every law you can think of. Okay, that is not the right thing to do. And instead of God getting mad at his lack of faith and at his sinful decisions, what does God do? God says, you know what? I'm going to have grace. I'm going to have uh, patience with you. And God actually blesses him and undoes the circumstance and drives him back into the promised land. Think about that. No rules have been discussed. All it is is this patience of this God. And every time Abram walks away and he's a little bit, man, God, God really protected me. And so the next thing that happens is these four kings come and take his nephew off. And for the first time, we see a man who says, you know what, I'm going to go get him back. And with 318 guys, they go and they get him back. Now, where did he get the faith to think God would protect him with 318 people? I would tell you it's probably because he's twice now taken a step of faith and he failed the test. But God's patience and grace allowed him to get to a place where he said, you know what, I'm going to do this. I'm just going to, I'm going to, I'm going to put this to the test. I'm going to see if God really will show up. He does it and, and he wins. He gets him back and he gets all of the spoil of five kingdoms, five of these kings. He's got all their stuff. And this time, instead of doing what he did in Egypt, where he got rich off of it, he kept all of the, the Pharaoh's uh, gifts to him. This time he gives back everything that he got. And instead he, got, he meets this priest. Y'all remember this. I've preached through this for like the last six months or something, it feels like. So he gives it all back and all he says, I'm just going to worship the Lord. And we see, how did he get to the point where he's not even accepting gifts now? It's because he's seeing God's going to bless me when I do, even when I do things wrong, God is not leaving me. I'm going to put my faith more in him and I'm going to give this stuff back so that no one can say, man, I made Abram rich or he did it himself. Instead, it's, everyone's going to say, you know what? He did that and all he did was pray to the Lord. He just gave grace or he gave glory to God. And then God shows up and God says to him, you know what? Not only have I promised you a land, I've promised you descendants and a people. And he's getting old. So his wife, Sarah, who's been on this journey the whole time. In fact, she, when, when, when he doubted, he gave her away. She now is becoming a part of this promise through, through your wife. You're going to give a, uh, you're going to have these descendants. And she goes through the same journey. 
She says, you know what? I'll give my husband away. I don't know how it's going to happen. So in order to make this kind of um, happen, what does she do? And in a total lack of faith, she gives her husband away to her servant and they have a child and she has now messed up the situation more than she ever thought. But what does God do? God has patience with her as well. There's all these ideas of what the Old Testament, and there's an Old Testament God, there's a New Testament, or you know, the God of the Old Testament's all mean and stuff. But when you dig in, if you not listen to what people tell you about the Bible, if you'll dig in like we've been doing, you'll see this idea of grace, patience, love for people who are seeking the Lord. No rules have been given, but just this establishment of what the gospel is, which you can't do. You know, we went through Genesis 1 through 11. We, we, we rebelled against God. We said, I'm going to do it my own way. Did God really say that? Because I'm going to do it this way. And that was the first sin. Is God said this, did he really? Because I'm going to do it this way. I'm going to do it my way. And every single time that we've seen a sin, it, it's Abram saying, you know what? I know God said stay in the promised land, but did, did he, I need to go to Egypt. I need to fix this. You know what? They're going to kill me. I need to get my wife away. They're going to, and then Sarah begins the same thing. Did, did God really say it was going to be through me? Because I'll just give my husband away. And so there's this, this process where they're doubting, but they're receiving grace back every time they doubt. And then it just strengthens their faith the next time. They never abandon God. They just say, okay, God, forgive me. I need your forgiveness because I'm, I'm, I'm going to trust you next time. And they may or may not the next time, but, but their heart is there. And there's this process that God went through with Abram. And now I want you to see he's going through it with Sarai. So that's where we're going to pick it up in chapter 17, verse 15. It says, and God said to Abram, Abraham, he's Abraham now, thank goodness. And Sarai, your wife, shall, you shall call her, not call her Sarai, but Sarah shall be your name. So he's just changing it a little bit so that she's a different person now. And when she accepts and takes this name, both names mean princess, but now we're going to call her Sarah instead of Sarai. Same name though. I will bless her. And moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her and she shall become nations. Kings of people shall come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed. Everybody said, laughed, laughed. Everybody say, laughed. No one is saying laughed back there. John, I didn't see your mouth move one bit. I'm just kidding. It might've moved, I wasn't looking. He laughed. And said to himself, shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? Shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, oh, that Ishmael may live, might live before you. And God said, no, but Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son. And you shall call his name Isaac. Isaac means laughed. So in other words, Abraham hears he's going to have a son and the son is going to be impossible. It's going to be through Sarah, who is 90 years old, and he laughs. And so the name Isaac is going to remind him forever that this promise that I'm giving you is coming through something that's so absurd that you laugh at the mere mention of it. Now think back to these prayers you're praying. That's so absurd. You would laugh if I were to say, you know what? You're going to have healing from that next week. You would laugh. Your whole situation that you think has collapsed, it's going gonna, it's gonna to come back next week. You laugh at that. That's, he laughed because it's an impossible thing. God said, no, 
Sarah shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. Laugh, and I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for him and this offspring. It's an amazing thing when we see this theology, this building of what's going to happen and what's going to be this one story arc that God is building. We rebelled in Genesis chapter three, the, the fall of man, the, took the, the fruit from the tree and we said, I'll do it my own way. And now God has, has given us a couple of times, but then, you know, we went through Noah, but that didn't go well. And then we went through the tower of Babel. It didn't go. And so God has said, you know what? I'm going to make a promise to one man. And it's going to be an impossible promise. It's going to be so absurd the way that I'm going to work this throughout all of history that anytime somebody says it, it's not going to say, well, it could have happened. Instead, they're going to say, no, this, this promise is going to start through a miraculous birth. It's a fascinating idea that the God would just come up with. Now, there are miracles, we'll say, and there are miracles, right? You agree with this. Like you, you have somebody that catches, uh, 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 that gets a sickness or, or maybe has uh, cancer or something and you pray. And when you pray for a miracle, you may be praying a few ways. You may be praying, God, make this, this cancer move through their body and go into remission through the natural processes that billions or millions or however long ago you set this way up that, that sometimes cancer will just, uh, the body will fight it in the right way. God, whatever that process is, that's what we want to happen. Maybe you're saying it's still miraculous. You know, if God exists, miracles exist. You understand that, right? Somebody flicked, if he flicked the first little atom into, hey, that's supernatural interacting with the natural, Okay. So if it's a natural process, that's still a miraculous thing you're praying for. If you're praying for a healing God, hey, let this sickness run its course. But you may be praying, you know, Lord, I pray that you'll miraculously either reach your hands somehow or you'll, you'll make the, the body systems do something that just speeds up this process. Lord, I pray that you will intervene in this. And then you may, there's also that miraculous, Lord, I pray in this moment right now, you will reach and you will remove this. You know, for years, my, my son has, my oldest son has type one diabetes, which is a devastating disease. And, and I didn't even pray God take this from him. It was always protect him, protect him. But now if you'll notice in our prayer meetings, I still pray protect him, protect him. But I also now pray, Lord, take this from him. Just supernaturally grab this disease, whatever that looks like, and pull it off of him. And those are two different miracles. Somebody breaks a leg, you don't say, God, you nobody really has the faith to go up and say, and maybe you shouldn't too, I'm gonna heal this, Lord, heal this. And then just put the legs together, right? We pray for this natural process. But to understand, sometimes if you just pray for the natural process, or God, just we pray that the way you've set this world, just move. We dismiss those miracles, right? You can easily say, well, it could have been God. It could have. You're praying for a job and, and it didn't happen next week, but it happened like three weeks later. And you're, you were praying, God, this will never happen. But then you get the job and you're like, you know, well, things just fell into place. And you can kind of dismiss, yeah, it kind of happened. God, maybe God didn't do it. Maybe you did. I'll thank him. But, you know, it wasn't like a miracle, like the miraculous miracle. So God says, listen, I'm going to do something here that is a miraculous miracle. Now you may think it's just, hey, she's just an old woman, okay? I looked it up, the oldest woman, I'm gonna show you a picture, okay? Oldest woman ever to give birth, ever to give birth on document is this woman right here, 74 years old, okay? She's old, she's in India. Oh, that's a doctor being like, I can't believe this happened, okay? I'm, that's what he, I'm translating for you, okay? This is a miracle though, okay? Understand that when 
a woman gets to an age and her body stops. It's, it's physically impossible. And so for a 90-year-old woman who would be, make her look like a spring chicken, okay? Now, a 90-year-old woman, you know, systems have to be restarted, have to go back in. I mean, God has to intervene in this to make this happen. So this promise is one that you can see Abraham has doubts. Why? Because as soon as it says, Sarah will have your son, what does he say? Hey, Lord, you, it sounded like you said Sarah, but hey, Ishmael, do great things with Ishmael. That's his, his son that he and Sarah, they, they manipulated. They had Hagar be the mother, okay? So in other words, you hear this doubt in just his response of, of oh, Ishmael may live forever. There's this doubt in this moment, but look what happens next. As for Ishmael, this is Lord, the Lord talking, I've heard you. Behold, I have blessed him and I will make him fruitful and multiply greatly. He shall have 12 princes and will make him into a great nation. I will establish my covenant with Isaac, who Sarah bore to you, will bear to you this time next year. And when he had finished talking, God went up from Abraham. So God leaves. So I don't know how he was talking. It was, might have been audibly to him. He might have been in his spirit. We don't know yet on this one. Then, if you missed last week, this is going to be really weird. If you were here last week, it makes sense, okay? Then Abraham took Ishmael, his son, and all those born in his house with his money, every male among them in Abraham's house, and he circumcised the flesh of their foreskins that very day. And as God had said to him, and Abraham was 99 years old when he circumcised the flesh of his own foreskin. And Ishmael, his son, was 13 years old when he circumcised the flesh of his foreskin. Now, this is kind of a weird thing, but that was a covenant that God set up last time of, hey, listen, I want to give you a sign that's going to be a forever sign for, for, for you, that if you want to be in this promise, just do this one act of faith, and it's kind of for you saying, hey, I'm signing on the dotted line. It, it's, I'm going to do this, God says, but if you want to be a part of it, just sign on. But it's not really signing on the line, right? It's a little more involved than that, okay? Now, the thing that I love about this is he's got doubt. And how do we know he has doubt? Because he thinks it's going to be through Ishmael. But his response is, I'm going to go through with this covenant anyway. Understand that. He does not believe, he does not know how it's going to happen, but he believes God can make it happen. So he, he circumcises himself at 99 anyway. Okay? This is faith. This is what faith looks like. It's when you have doubts everywhere. Faith, and I say this all the time, faith is not the absence of doubt. Faith is the absence of certainty. You cannot have faith if you don't have doubt. They, it is part of the process. So he has these doubts, but he says, I'm going to go through it. I'm going to do it. And what, what I, I got some quotes, by the way, I want to read to you on doubts. These are just from Christian theologians throughout um, Philip Bali. In fact, I'm not even going to name their names because you don't know who they are anyway. Whoever, he who has not doubted has never half believed. Another one, a man who fears to doubt, doubts the Lord. Oswald Chambers said, doubt is not a sign that a man is wrong. It, is a, it may be a sign that he is thinking. But my favorite one is this. It's by a man named John Drummond. Christ never failed to distinguish between doubt and unbelief. Doubt is can't believe. Unbelief is won't believe. Doubt is honesty. Unbelief is obstinacy. Doubt is looking for light. Unbelief is content with darkness. Understand that, that Abraham has this, I can't believe this. I can't believe this. But he still obeys in faith. He moves forward. The faith is the fact that he says, I don't think you can do this, God, but I know you can do this, God. And so he circumcises his whole family and himself. And he does it. There's a little thing that was added to this. 
We might have skipped over it, but it was first a promise to Abraham. I'll give you a land and I'll give you descendants. So his descendants are going to have this land. His descendants are going to be blessed. They're going to multiply. But now he added this little thing in verse 19. You may have missed it. This will now be an everlasting covenant. So he's kind of gone back and said, you know, if this was an everlasting prom, uh, promise that you, that you broke, when, when Genesis 3 happened, you severed our relationship to an everlasting God. And so this, this was kind of a temporary plan that I've unveiled so far, but now I want you to see this is an everlasting thing. What is going to happen is going to forever everlasting. Now we're talking heaven. Now we're talking beyond this natural earth. What I'm going to do now is going to reconcile you to me forever. And it's going to come through a miraculous birth. It's going to come through your faith even when you don't think it can happen. And so you're laying a lot of groundwork here as Christians. It says, okay, so the Lord went away and he took this step and he, he entered into this covenant. And he says, I'm gonna believe in this miraculous birth and the way he did it, he said, I'm gonna have faith. I'm gonna keep serving you. I'm gonna keep moving forward in this covenant even though I don't know that it can happen. Chapter 18, verse one. And the Lord appeared to him at the Oaks of Mamre. Now he's, he's kind of settling in at these Oaks of Mamre. And he said, he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day. Now I want to give you a little hint, a little Bible reading here. The Lord here is capitalized in your Bible or any Bible you look at, the Lord is capitalized. That is because this is not just uh, Adon. This is not just the word Lord. This is actually uh, what would be signifying for Yahweh or Jehovah. Okay, this is God. Okay, this is God appearing hint to him. This is what, as Christians, we would probably say this is a Christophany. This is Jesus coming to the earth. Now, where do you see that? Okay, listen. He lifted his eyes and he looked and behold, three men were standing in front of him. And when he saw them, he ran. Just to recap, this is a 99-year-old man who circumcised himself not long before this. He ran, okay? He sees something different about these guys. I'm guessing the, the average person, you know, his in-laws come over, he's not running anywhere, okay? All of a sudden, though, these men, there's something about them, at least one of them, that makes him think, okay, something's going on. He ran from his tent to meet them and he bowed himself to the earth and he said, oh Lord, I have found favor in your sight. Do not pass your servant. He may not know that this is God yet, do not pass your servant. Let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourself under the tree while I'll bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh yourselves. And after that, you may pass on since you have already come to your servant. So they said, do as you have said. And Abraham quickly went into the tent to sit, um, with Sarah and said, quick, make three sayas of fine flour. He's going to give them enough bread they can take with them on their journey. This is, he's excited, needed, and make cakes. And Abraham ran to the herd and he took a calf, tender and good, and he gave it to a young man who prepared it quickly. And then he took curds and milk to the, um, of the calf and he prepared it and he set it before them and he stood there under the tree while they ate. He stood by them. 99 years old, just off surgery, but he's so excited because he recognizes, man, God has entered into his creation. God is standing before me. What, what, if there's any definition of what praising God is like, I would say it's the type of praise where a 99 year old fresh off of his circumcision man runs and says, I want to serve. I got servants. I want to be the one serving. I have waiters, but I want to be the one standing there in their presence. I want to be the one just near God. I just want to be around him. I just want him to know, hey, I just, just fellowship. I just want to be there. That's the passion. When we look at Abraham's life uh, of what we can desire, our relationship to God, I just want to be around him. 
Because I know if I'm around him, man, miracles can happen. And this miracle of God coming and visiting him happens after he enters into this covenant. Understand, it's the next story that happens is God showing up in the flesh and being there. Now they're going to say something that to you might get slipped by, but understand in the context, this is where the, the record scratches. This is where everybody stops the meal and, and, and looks. They said to him, where is Sarah, your wife? Now why is this kind of a big moment? Because right now, who knows that Sarah is the name of Sarai? Abraham and God, and probably Sarah. She probably told her, right? So you have Sarah who, she's fixing all this cake. I mean, she's fixing these bread because she's, but she's inside the tent because at this time the wife would not go out with, with three strange men. They would not go out there. And so she's inside, but she already knows somebody big has come because Abraham was so excited and she's making this. So she's at the, don't, not that you ladies would do this, but, but at that time, it's not a lot going on. So she's like, I want to listen in on this conversation. So she's, she's at the tent listening in on this conversation. So they're asking, and they're gonna start talking to Sarah without talking to Sarah. Understand, they're only talking to Abraham right now. Where is Sarah, your wife? And he just says, she's in the tent. But Sarah would have heard this. He didn't call me Sarah, he called me Sarah. How does he even know I'm here? How does he even know my name? Who is this? The Lord said, and he's talking to Abraham. He's gonna tell Abraham what he already knew, but now he's gonna say it so that Sarah, or Sarah hears. I will surely return to you about this time next year and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. And Sarah was listening at, the, listening at the tent behind him. And now Abraham and Sarah, they're old advancing years in case you haven't established that yet. The way of women has ceased to be with Sarah. In other words, this is gonna be a miraculous birth. This is something God has to do. They can't do it on their own. So Sarah laughed to herself, to herself, saying to herself, after I'm worn out and the, my Lord is old, in other words, my husband ain't no spring chicken either, shall I have this pleasure. Abraham, he heard this promise and he Isaac'd, he laughed. Sarah heard this promise and she Isaac'd, she laughed. She said, this is ridiculous that, that God would ever move in my life like this. It made her laugh. And the Lord said to Abraham, still not addressing her, why did Sarah laugh? Now, Abraham may not have even known she laughed because she laughed to herself. She taught, said this to herself, but God knows what God knows. And God said, why did Sarah laugh and say, shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? Is anything too hard for the Lord? And now we have God addressing himself in the third person, so you know it's a big deal. He says, is, Yahweh is saying, is anything too hard for Yahweh? Jehovah is saying, is anything too hard for Jehovah? Is anything too hard for me? Is what God is saying. At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a time. I wanna just make sure we're clear. God gives us a verse here that he says from his own mouth on earth, he says, is anything too hard for the Lord? And as we're gonna see the, the story go, we're gonna see, is anything too hard for the Lord? Because some of us are, are withholding prayers right now in our own life as if this is too hard for the Lord. I would laugh if I were to pray for this relationship or, or for that relationship or for this job or for God to provide for me in this impossible situation. I would laugh at that. But you know what? There are times where, where God walks on the water. Is anything too hard for the Lord? There's times when they, they, people need to be fed. He feeds 5,000 people from five loaves and two fish. Is anything too hard for the Lord? There are times when he forgives someone simply with words. 
And for eternity, they are forgiven. There are times when he looks at the lame and he says, get up and walk. Phil, is anything too hard for the Lord? No. No. One of the things I want you to see is God is proving a point in the gospel. When we talk about who God is, we, we, I mean, this story is setting so many foundations, but the one thing you have to understand is that there is nothing too hard for the Lord. There's a lot of things too hard for you. That is why we put our faith in the Lord, even in our doubts. There's a lot of things too hard for you. You can't bring yourself to, to, to reconcile with your neighbor or your, your spouse sometimes, your kids sometimes, but yet God will reconcile us for eternity simply through faith in him. I want to give you two things that I want you to see in this, this passage as I close up. And I want you to think, what could God do if you would just start praying in faith that there's nothing too hard for the Lord? First thing I want you to see is that faith is obeying God in our doubts. The idea of removing your doubts is not the plan. Faith is obeying God in our doubts. This is verse 15. Sarah denied it. Okay, she's gonna just jump into the conversation. She may not have even opened the tent. She just said it through the tent, apparently. She says, I did not laugh. In other words, she heard God say, why did Sarah laugh to Abraham? And she said, I didn't laugh. I didn't laugh. Now God, for the first time, is going to address her. No, but you did laugh. And just to point out, she had this lack of faith. She laughed at God. She Isaaced at this idea that God is, is going to be able to do this. And God didn't throw lightning bolts at her. He didn't get so angry that he said, I'll never talk to you again, which is how some of us think God reacts to our sin and to our doubts and to our, our disbelief. Instead, God gives her this grace, this room, and said, but he, he makes sure she knows. Oh, you doubt it. You doubt it. He didn't dismiss it. Oh, it's just a doubt. It wasn't a big deal. No, no, no. You doubted. She knows this. I want to jump forward a few thousand years, and I want to go to Hebrews chapter 11. This is what the author of Hebrews says about this. By faith, this is Hebrews 11, 11. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive. Now understand this. It's saying by her faith, she received power to believe. Even when she was past age, she can, and since she considered him faithful who had promised. So in other words, what Hebrews says about this is the reason she was able to conceive this miraculous birth is because of her faith. In other words, God didn't do this independent of her. God just didn't say, I'm going to do this. It, it kind of gives this idea that, you know what, if she wouldn't have come around and said, you know what, I did laugh. But God, I believe it anyway. She, in her faith, God says, now I'm going to move this promise. Now that you have admitted it, now that you have, have, have done it, and now that your faith is with me, in her faith, that's where God said, I'm going to enter in. It is part of the process. Part of the process of getting her to be the woman of faith who could have this miracle happen had to be, she had to doubt it, and she had to laugh at the idea of it, and then God says, I'm going to make it happen anyway. Now that we're to the point where you doubt this much, now you can see. That brings me to the second thing I want you to see. Is it's conceivable that God led you to your doubt to bring you through your doubt. God may have led you to your doubt to bring you through your doubt. In other words, if you think about this whole thing, if God would have just showed up and said, or not said anything. If, God, if she would have just had a child at 90, everyone would have said, oh, that's weird. She had a nine. That's, that's kind of weird. I, I didn't know that could happen. Maybe, maybe it did happen. You know, maybe it, that's all it was. But he, he didn't do that. He, he, he took her through this process of making these promises and saying, I'm going to do it. And he planted this desire in her heart of, you know what? 
You're going to be a great nation. You're going to have this promised land, but you're also going to have this eternal covenant that's going to come through you. And he began to, to put these promises so that she had this hope. And then she had to go. She had all this hope. And then she began to see, you know, this is never going to happen. And she had to go through these doubts. If God would have just made it happen, she would have never had the, the hope or the doubt. And if she never had the doubt, she would have never had the faith be the, to be the mother of this promise. I think back to our first years. Had we never gone through what we had to where I had so many doubts whether we would financially survive, whether we would just people survive, have enough to, to keep going. And now I just think we, when we were getting started up, I was like, I'm not even worried. We're not even worried about that. We're just, we've been through the doubts. Now we have the faith. God has built us up. And I don't know that, that we would have been ready for the next stage had we not go through that first season of just doubts and wonder. And, and can this even happen? And so right now, I want to just bring us back to that one memory verse. And I want you, if you're doubting something, a promise, is anything too hard for the Lord? I'm going to invite Joey up right now. And I want you to have a moment for us. As, as he comes up here. And I want you to think about that prayer. And I'm going to ask you in this moment right now to resurrect that prayer that you have given up on. Maybe it's a, a, a prayer of, like I said, I don't know, maybe it's your, your faith. Maybe your faith isn't what it once was. And, you say, and you've gotten to a point where you don't even pray, God, bring me joy anymore. Maybe you don't even pray anymore, God, show up and show me a miracle. Maybe you don't even pray anymore that, that God would heal you or that it would heal your family member or that God would, would really provide and take you into a season of peace. Maybe you don't even think anymore, you know what, there's no reason to even, even throw this out there. Maybe you're caught in a sin that is just hardened your heart. God will never free me from this. And because you quit praying the prayer, you no longer even really hope for it. My hope for us as we take a few moments here, that we resurrect this prayer. And we think, is anything too hard for the Lord? It may be too hard for us, but right now, I wanna just give us a moment as Joey plays to pray. And I wanna challenge you to pray for this thing that you gave up on or that you think, I can never do, they'll never get through this season. I want you to pray. And if it makes you laugh, if this is impossible, it's ridiculous. Just go with me on this. But before I leave, I do want to remind us, God entered into his creation and he makes a promise, an eternal promise through a miraculous birth. And then a few thousand years later, he enters into his creation through a miraculous birth. And he fulfills this promise with Jesus on the cross who covers your sin and, and however far you thought you were from God. In the ultimate display of patience, God actually sacrifices himself and he gives himself up. And we know that it covers our sin because he rose from the grave. But then just like with Abraham, God went away. But there's another promise we don't always talk about every week, but I want to remind us there's a promise that God is coming back, that Jesus is going to return and that whatever season you're in, this ends with us being face to face with, face with God, just like Abraham under those oaks, where he's so excited 
And everything that he had given up on and Sarah had given up on, now they're just so excited because they're in the presence of God. And they know if I'm in the presence of God, there's no promise because is anything too hard for the Lord? Let's just take a moment right now and let's pray. And maybe if you're around someone and you know they're going through something, and maybe just pray for them. And if it's an impossible prayer, this is the day to pray. A prayer that would make you laugh.